0: Hello everyone, welcome to Adoran Talks Sports, the only podcast, probably, maybe, that is out there that talks about every single team in the sport being discussed, or the league being discussed, I don't even know my own tagline. Hello, welcome back. Another week is in the books now, as we have continued our stretch here. Week 13 has completed. Uh, Ignore the day that this is being released, Uh, I do know that Thursday Night Football for week 14... Has already been out. It's already happened. I do know the results. We're just gonna we're just gonna pretend that hasn't happened yet, and uh, hopefully uh, you guys are cool with that. Thank you very much. As always, make sure to review, subscribe, follow, do all those sort of things you ought to do when supporting a podcast of this form. And let me know if there's anything that you think I can do to spice this show up. Because as of right now, it's just an hour of me talking about sports, which while very cool, uh, tends to 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 grow stale at times so maybe we have segments or something like that. again if you're listening you can uh check that out and do all that sort of stuff without further ado i think we can start with the first game of the week the problem with releasing these episodes in weird timelines so releasing this episode after thursday night football is that the previous thursday night football game sounds like or feels like it was months ago uh, but it wasn't. It was exactly one week ago, give or take, you know, twelve hours. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys at the New Orleans Saints was Week 13's Thursday Night Football matchup, and the Dallas Cowboys come away with a 27-17 victory over the Saints. The Saints fall to five and seven, while the Cowboys jump up to eight and four. While you would think eight and four in the NFC least, that's good enough to be the the NFC least champion, right? We just Wrap them up, they'll be the uh, the three or four seed, right? Yeah, well, no, not this year. Uh, there's still a bit more competition in there, but we'll get into that in a moment. Um, in this game overall, it was a fairly competitive matchup initially speaking, and then Taysom Hill got hurt, uh, starting a quarterback in the uh, stead of Trevor Simeon. Um, and then with that, this game kind of just went downhill from there. Uh, the Saints drives for the most part. Like, in the beginning of the game, it felt like a somewhat competitive game, Um, Really that way for the first like three-ish quarters, I want to say. And then afterwards, three straight drives by the Saints that lead to an interception by Taysom Hill. Didn't come out of the game with a good game, statistically speaking. 1941, 264 yards, two touchdowns, but four interceptions. Uh, He did also run the ball 11 times for 101 yards, which is very Taysom Hill-like. You see the Saints offense shift from that precision style of Drew Brees to the... Um, more explosive aspect that Jameis Winston tends to provide. And now the shift over here back to almost like a a Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts-esque offense where the quarterback is running around. The quarterback is as much of a threat as everybody else is on the field. Um, In this game, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I don't actually have it pulled up, but I think Mark Ingram got injured in this game partway through. Either that or he's on COVID protocol or something along those lines. So that's not great for the Saints' uh, immediate future. And as a whole, the Saints team kind of just fell apart at the end, partly due to how the Cowboys defense has been this year, which is just taking advantage of mistakes, constantly getting interceptions, um, to the point now where uh, they, they're they just collecting turnovers at this point. I need to find out, just make sure here. Uh, I want to get the stats right. Um... Just want to make sure I have this right. So, yep, yeah. It's Trayvon Diggs. Uh, We know him. We, we, you you love him if you're a Cowboys fan. Um, And he has been on a roll with interceptions this year. Uh, Another interception in the Saints game now leads it to nine interceptions on the season. He's got nine interceptions in week 13. Uh, This is wild even for uh, prior to the 16 to 17 game shift. But the fact that Trayvon Diggs now is... Approaching double-digit interceptions, which hasn't happened in years, uh, very exciting. Uh, I wanted to say Asante Samuel was the last one that had, uh, double-digit interceptions, but I, I know the name was mentioned previously, and it's not Samuel. Uh, double-digit interception seasons, here we go. Um, so, the last double-digit interception season, uh, Xavier Howard had 10 in 2020. Completely forgot about that. And then prior to him, it was Antonio Cromartie in 2007. Uh, Then Champ Bailey. Okay, there's Asante Samuel in 2006. But still, it's been, outside of Xavier Howard, a decade since a player has had double-digit interceptions. Um, So the fact that this is happening now is surprising because this isn't exactly a daily occurrence. Usually the guy with the most interceptions has like seven or eight in the season, but and, interceptions, and the fact that they've happened so quickly as well, uh, a really good sign for the Cowboys, just able to take advantage of those turnovers. Um, Dallas as a team, Dak 26-40, of 40, 238, a touchdown and interception, kind of a standard game for Dak Prescott. The running game didn't exist for Dallas, uh, especially when it came to uh, attempts. When it came to actual rushes, pretty good, especially by Tony Pollard, who is expected to be out or limited for this week's matchup so that's not uh ideal for them they're heading up to uh they're heading to the washington football team to play them which is more or less going to decide whether the nfc east is being decided on now or not if dallas wins that match they're pretty much locked in for the divisional uh for the nfc east if washington wins then it becomes a debate because dallas has brought down a peg washington's brought up a peg and then philadelphia is right there behind both of them so That'll be interesting to see for the most part. As for the Saints, uh, they, with a 5-7 record, surprisingly, are still not out of the NFC East hunt. Or the Sorry, not NFC East, NFC hunt. Um, they are the 12 seed, but they do go up against the New York Jets next week, which is a winnable game for them. So that is something to keep in mind. We turn from a matchup that may or may not have major implications in the NFC playoffs to a matchup that more or less just shows that these two teams are on completely different paths. The Indianapolis Colts versus the Houston Texans. The Texans get shut out by the Colts 31-0, dropping the Texans to 2-10, while the Colts go up thir- uh, to 7-6. and In this game, it's kind of what you expected for the most part, except extremer. I think when walking into this game, you would expect the Colts to come out of here with a dominant victory over the Texans because the Colts are probably, at least playing like they're a wild card team, while the Texans are playing like one of the worst teams in the league. Not surprising considering they have a lot of players out and a lot of, you know, the talent level is slightly different and all that sort of stuff. Um, divisional matches usually just throw all those things out the window, but even so, you probably expect that the Colts to win. However, in this game, that's not quite what happened. Wentz didn't need to do much. Wentz was 16 for 22, 158, a touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, because this entire game was focused on the run game, Jonathan Taylor had 32 carries. For 143 yards and two touchdowns, along with a couple of other players having a handful of carries everywhere, the Colts as a team ran the ball 48 times for 238 yards. Now, part of that is just the fact that, you know, you're handing the ball off to milk the clock, and part of that is just the fact that the rush game was so dominant over the Texans that they didn't need to worry about anything else. For the Texans, again, they didn't have a lot of attempts because they were trying to pass to get themselves back into the game, but even so, they didn't have a lot of pass attempts either. Davis Mills and Tyra Taylor combined for 27 pass attempts, uh, only completing 11 of them. And I did say both quarterbacks' names because at a certain point, Tourette Taylor was benched in favor of Davis Mills trying to add a spark to the game. Didn't really do so, if I have to say. But it is something that they attempted to do nevertheless. Um, Overall, this game, kind of a... It is what most blowouts are of just one team dominant over the other team. Uh... The the game started off rough for the Texans when they had the interception on the very first play, um, and then following that up with the fumble. At that point, uh, it's it's pretty much wrapped up there. Uh, that was a brilliant interception there, by the way, by Kenny Moore. He was able to pick the pass off on the sideline and have the wherewithal to make sure both feet are in both feet both uh, both feet are in bounds uh, while basically stumbling out of bounds. Um, it's, it's the type of interception you wanted to do when you were a kid of just jumping the route and, uh, staying inbounds. And that was very exciting to, to, to watch. Um, yeah, once that happened, and then on the second drive, the, uh, the fumble that, uh, by, by Pharaoh Brown, um, again, forced by Kenny Moore. I actually forgot about that fact. Uh, once that happened, the Colts kind of just had the lead at that point, um, both like momentum wise, literally because the interception led to a touchdown run by Jonathan Taylor At that point, they just kind of had control of it and they were just scoring points from that point on. Um, For this, the Texans now actually fall to the point where they are eliminated from playoff contention, the only team so far to be eliminated from playoff contention. That's right, the Detroit Lions have not been eliminated despite having less wins. Um, The Texans fall out of the playoff hunt while the Colts, with this win, uh, take advantage of the the divisional matchup and just that ability to uh, move up in the rankings and now go To the 8th seed. Uh, They are on bye this week, so they're gonna just watch and see what everybody else ends up doing. Um, So divisional matchups, this one not as competitive as most divisional matchups. I mentioned them previously uh, in the last uh, game that we just discussed. The Detroit Lions take on the Minnesota Vikings. Lions looking for their first win. The Vikings looking for a divisional win to add to their list. And Detroit comes away with the victory, the first victory of the season for Detroit. They go up to 110 and one, still mathematically in the playoff hunt. Though, if you saw the, um, I think it was CBS Sports that posted the uh, the specific like layout, they it would basically be a miracle if they made it. But also, it would be such a 2021 season thing if Detroit somehow made the playoffs despite you know losing the first 10 games of the season and all that. Um, but Lions do come away with the victory on the last play of the game, um, a walk off victory there, needing a touchdown. Jared Goff able to find the open receiver. Uh, it was a uh, who's Amon Amon Ross St. Brown, right? Uh, looking that up. Yep, yeah. Uh, so what a what a game. First off, uh, because this almost fell into the pattern of your classic Lions game this season. Because if you've watched the Lions play much at all this season, and I know their record doesn't exactly suggest this, but if you watch the games, they've been in a lot of games. Um, Just a bunch of bad luck and just really, really good plays by the other team have combined to lead them to a so far winless season. Um, But if a couple of things flip the, the other way, if field goals are missed, Like if Justin Tucker doesn't break an NFL record or the Vikings in the previous time these two teams played against each other, if they don't kick the game-winning field goal. um, There was one other team that I think kicked a game-winning field goal against them. But uh, just adding all of that together, um, if those things flip around, the Lions probably have four wins, I'd say. And if they have four wins right now, they're, you know, in the hunt with like the Giants and the Bears and the Seahawks at this point. All teams that mathematically have a non-zero chance of making the playoffs. It sounded really bad, but um, despite the fact that the Seahawks are one seed above the Lions when it comes to the hunt, three wins could really shift things. So, in this game, uh, TJ Hawkinson had a pretty good game, I noticed. Uh, Jared Goff, uh, for... Three of the four quarters, I think, was really good. And then one of them, he just kind of was there. But uh, 25 of 41 for 296 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Um, the rush game wasn't particularly existent for Detroit. 27 rushes for exactly 100 yards. But again, at some point, they were almost doing a comeback uh, victory. Because of the, the way the game was played, uh, the first quarter was just both of these teams going back and forth. The second quarter was completely Detroit. They scored 20 points in the second quarter. Uh, as they just took advantage of multiple plays and early start to the drive in the second quarter, uh, multiple field goals, good plays by, uh, Brock Wright and TJ Hawkinson, who both caught touchdown passes in this quarter, just led them to a 20 to six lead. And then the Vikings start to chip away at that in the third and fourth quarter. Vikings take the lead at this point. It's like, Oh, this is it. We got this. The Vikings have taken the lead. Classic Detroit. And then Detroit walks down the field with less than two minutes remaining and scores the game winning touchdown to uh, seal the game. Seal, steal, whatever you want to call it, from the Vikings. Uh, for the Vikings, Jared Gaw, or sorry, not Jared Gaw, uh, Kirk Cousins. Classic Kirk Cousins game of a very good game, but eventually leading to a loss, which seems to be the case in a lot of Kirk Cousins games this season. 30 for 40 for 340 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. There wasn't particularly big rush game uh dalvin cook was out for this game and so alexander madison came in to respond and he played pretty well 22 rushes for 90 yards and a touchdown uh neither of these teams ran a lot i actually just noticed this both teams ran the ball 27 times for 100 yards that's impossibly ironic uh ironic weird coincidence i don't know anyway uh this game eventually leads of course to the lions getting their first victory the vikings losing to the lions and this puts Mike Zimmer, I guess, really on the hot seat, especially as he's been uh, touted as a defensive coach. And yet, this season, it's been the defense that's been losing them games. Like, you can't look at Kirk Cousins, and Dalvin Cook, and uh, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, and all of these folks and say that the offense isn't playing good. They're playing really well. I mean, Justin Jefferson had 11 catches in this game for 182 yards, Adam Thielen... Uh, While he didn't have much production in this game, has been pretty good this season so far. If I look into his stats, actually. Uh, What has he done so far this season? Um, This season, he's got 64 catches for about 600 and about 700 yards uh, and 10 touchdowns. Oh gosh, I didn't even realize that. He's been a touchdown machine this season. Um, Which is basically his role, I guess, as Justin Jefferson is the yardage guy. Uh, but in this game, like the offense has been playing very well. It's a defense that's been losing them a lot of these games. And that's not great considering this team is uh, coached, head coached by a defensive-oriented coach. So that's... It'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, for the Lions now, uh, their next matchup is against the Denver Broncos. While the Vikings went up against the Steelers uh, on Thursday Night Football. And we'll discuss that on next week's episode. Um, but you, you saw the results of that. And that's all I will say. Because... No spoilers. Next matchup on the list are two teams that have a decent shot at being somewhat successful. uh, Bouncing back from uh, good games, I think, in the previous games. Uh, Bouncing back. Both of these teams are coming off of victories. Uh, It is the Miami Dolphins versus the New York Giants. The Dolphins come away with a 20-9 victory giving them a 6-7 and seven record, and I believe they are on a 5-game win streak or something along those lines, while the Giants fall to 4-8 and eight with this loss. Um, a lot of field goals in this game, I can, I can tell you that. Uh, Jason Sanders and Graham Gano of the Dolphins and Giants respectively just kicking field goals back and forth. Uh, overall in this game, we'll start with the Dolphins, Tua. Pass the ball 41 times. I didn't even realize he was passing that much. 30 for 41, 244 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He has been playing like a franchise quarterback, especially a franchise quarterback that is only a couple seasons into his career. Um, it's hard, I think, for fans out there to see what Patrick Mahomes, uh, if you want to even go as far back as like Cam Newton, Cam Newton, Patrick Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, these quarterbacks that come in year one, and start collecting those victories, if you have the extreme cases like the Patrick Mahomeses, where year one, they lead them deep into the playoffs, it's hard for fans of teams to understand what the norm is versus the exception. Mahomes is the exception. And while you are definitely looking for those type of exceptions, you really just want to make sure you've at least got the norm. Because for every Patrick Mahomes, There's a Drew Brees, a quarterback that takes years before they become a Hall of Famer. Uh, It took Brees, when was he drafted? 2001 or 2002? 2003? I forget. Um, But it took Brees until basically moving over to the Saints uh, four years later for Brees to show, Oh, hey, wait a minute. Hi, you know me? Uh, I'm the most accurate quarterback of all time, right? Uh, it takes it takes a little bit of time there, and I think Tua is finally breaking into that mold after a lot of experience. I mean, they they gave him they trusted Tua to throw the ball forty one times in the game, which is very high, considering how much I think Tua has probably thrown this season. Um, oh no, there there have been a few both of them in losses though. So this one throw a lot of times, but a lot of times in a win. Um, and also they're on a four game win streak At one, two, three, four. Five. I'm trying to learn how to count. And Yeah. Yeah, anyway. Um so sorry about that. Uh the the uh the the Dolphins here that they're, they're trusting Tua more with this offense and as a result he's able to take advantage of the skills that he's been learning over the past few years. And while this wasn't a high scoring game, it still is that sort of dominant victory that they need, especially defensively. Brian Flores' defense has now uh, awoken from its slumber during the losing streak, holding the Giants to only 9 points. Uh, speaking of the Giants, with, uh, with Daniel Jones out due to injury, Mike Glennon came in instead, 23 for 44, 187 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. Barkley was the main running back for the Giants, and as a whole, neither of these teams ran the ball particularly well, both teams were less than 100 yards rushing, and, it leads to what we see here as a, an increasingly competitive AFC East matchup and a decreasingly competitive NFC East matchup, I want to say. The Dolphins with this victory now go up to 6-7. and seven. They're now basically arguing with the Bills and the Patriots to say, hey, I deserve up a spot at the playoff table. Well, the Giants are falling backwards now, leaving the other three teams in the NFC East to go m- mingle among themselves, trying to see... Uh, which one of them is going to be representing the NFC in the playoffs. Uh, based on the playoff standings, actually, uh, now again, this is keeping in mind, although I don't think it adjusts things based on... Because I, I have the playoff standings after Thursday Night Football's games between the Steelers and the Vikings, but I don't think that plays a role in how... Um, The playoff picture itself stands. It doesn't look like it, at least. Based on it, right now, there are actually two NFC East teams in the playoffs, so uh, with that in mind, basically, the Giants are sort of falling out of that picture, uh, leading to an increasingly interesting scenario regarding Joe Judge's tenure as the Giants head coach. They have... The Giants, despite seeming like the model of consistency, they've been firing a lot of head coaches in the past uh, half decade. Um... But that is a thing to keep in mind all the same uh, as the Giants move on to, with all of the rest of the NFC East, a slew of divisional matchups uh, against each other. The Giants, for example, are actually going to uh, not listen to that and go against the Chargers. Sorry, I'm thinking of like the Eagles and Cowboys schedule. Um, But they're going up against the Chargers next week while the Miami Dolphins are on bye. Uh, This is, I believe, the final bye week of the season as well, so a late bye week for the Dolphins might be what they need to continue this win streak, you know, get players healthy when walking into the last couple weeks of the season. More divisional matchups here as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the Atlanta Falcons. Buccaneers come away with a 30-17 victory. Buccaneers go to 9-3, and three, while the Falcons fall to 5-7. and seven. This game was, uh, like most divisional matchups, somewhat competitive initially, and then leads to a blowout at the end. Or, not, maybe not a blowout, but a significant victory off the same. Uh, braiding this game threw the ball 51 times. I, as a I don't know, I don't know. As a football watcher, I feel like 51 times is a lot, even if it is Tom Brady, even if it is the Buccaneers. If you take a dominant lead, you don't need to throw the ball 51 times. But still, Brady. 38 for 51 for 368 yards, four touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, they did not run the ball a lot. Probably due to them passing a lot. Only really 17 attempts for 57 yards. Again, a heavy focus on the pass game this game, which eventually leads to Chris Godwin having the most receptions for any player this season of 15 catches for 143 yards. That was a big thing to note. Mike Evans also had seven catches for 99 yards and Gronk had two touchdowns pushing Brady and Gronk, that connection to second all time behind Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. But those two have, what was it? Like 22 more touchdown receptions. It would basically be Brady and Gronk both having to play with each other for another two seasons for them to, to break that record. Um, For Atlanta, Matt Ryan, 30 for 41, 297 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked five times, which just goes to show the Buccaneers' pressure that they're able to bring. And the rush game for Atlanta, more effective, 23 rushes for 121 yards, led, of course, by probably my favorite player on the Falcons, Cordero Patterson, but uh, did not lead to the victory at the end of the day. Uh, These results here lead to uh, this, the... uh, this, this sort of game, despite the fact that it was pretty competitive for the first couple of quarters, uh, this result here pushes the Falcons down to 5-7 and seven again, um, which would normally be a, uh, a sentence for out of the playoffs, except everybody in the NFC apparently is 5-7, and seven, so they still have a real shot. Uh, they go up against the Panthers next week, while the Buccaneers are now the number three seed with a 9-3 and record, going up against the Bills. We turn to another matchup, Uh, this one, another backup QB starting, not exactly what we expected, but the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Jets go head-to-head. The Eagles come away with a 33-18 victory, moving the Eagles up to 6-7, while the Jets fall to 3-9. This game started off with a lot of scoring. I think the first, uh, let me confirm this, but I believe the first three drives of both teams led to touchdowns. Uh, That is correct, yeah. Both teams, Uh, led their teams down to scoring touchdowns. Uh, The only difference afterwards was that the Jets all of a sudden stopped scoring while the Eagles continued to score. Um, Quite literally, actually. Every single drive for the Eagles, apart from their final one, led to a scoring drive. They had three straight touchdowns followed by four straight field goals. Uh, The Jets, meanwhile, three straight touchdowns and then proceeding to not score again. Uh, For the Philadelphia Eagles, in lieu of Jalen Hurts starting, it was Gardner Minshew. Minshew... 20 of 25 for 242 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. The rush game, as usual for the Eagles, dominant as always, but surprisingly, they didn't break 200 yards rushing. They just broke the 40, yards att- 40 attempts thing, uh, 41 attempts for 185 yards, and a touchdown. Miles Sanders has 24 rushes for 120 yards. Uh, the first 100-yard rush game for an Eagles player, I want to say since last season uh, against the Saints, I think that's correct, which is surprising considering the fact that the Eagles have been such a dominant rush team. They've spread that apart between Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, or Jordan Howard, who was out this game, uh, Boston Scott. You know, they they spread their rushes across the team as opposed to uh, controlling it into one player like they sort of did this game with Miles Sanders. Um, Generally, a lot of those attempts or rushes would have gone to Jalen Hurts uh, just from broken pass plays or something along those lines, but... With Hurts out of the lineup and Minchu not being as more as uh, dynamic of a runner as Jalen Hurts is, uh, much more of a I don't want to say pocket passing thing because Minshew is still able to move around and isn't quite you know Tom Brady when it comes to athleticism, but uh, more focused on the sit back and pass thing as opposed to being dynamic with your legs. Uh, For the Jets, meanwhile, Zach Wilson started off this game fantastic. I thought 23 of 38 for 226, two touchdowns and an interception to end his game. Uh, The rush game for the Jets was non-existent as the game sort of kind of got away from them uh, moving on. In this game, I think it just kind of showed where these two teams are. The Eagles, uh, with... A combination of a relatively easy end-of-year schedule and the playoff push that they're on are trying to start collecting those wins, and with the loss to the Giants last week, they needed to get this win here to keep pace with Washington and Dallas to a certain extent. The Jets, meanwhile, this is a Zach Wilson uh, study season, and studying so far, that first quarter in particular was fantastic by Zach Wilson. So just continuing that, he had a rushing touchdown as well, by the way, I forgot to mention that. Um... If you continue that sort of game plan with the, from Zach Wilson across to other games, that's how you get success with him. Um, usually the first, uh, what is the saying, is like the first 15 drives or 15 plays or so. I think that's generally what it is. Like the first 15 plays uh, are scripted, and then from there it's based off of the defense and how the game is played. Uh, I'm fairly certain, I can go through it specifically, but the first 15 plays here, if they're scripted, they're scripted fantastically. And then from there, uh, just g- they they went through and continued to uh, uh, build off of that. There you go. So first, the they had a five play drive that led to a touchdown. Eleven that led to a touchdown. Nine that led to a touchdown. Yeah, twenty five plays at that point. You've gotten past the script. Um, so they it they've shown that Wilson is able to control an offense, go down the field, score some points, uh, and do it consistently. It's not just spurts of points. It's able to do you know collect 7 14 21 points like that. Um now missing extra points is not particularly great. Uh as Alex Kessman was unsuccessful at making the uh the two extra point attempts of those three touchdowns which eventually led to the uh the, the two point attempt that they missed as well. Um which is kind of kind of not great uh but They've shown the success that this offense can have with Zach Bolson at the helm, uh, and they, I expect them to try to continue that sort of game plan of, you know, uh, it was a decent rush focus, good pass attempts, uh, not needing to go deep unless you needed to go deep because uh, a lot of these pass plays were, you know, five yards here, nine yards there, which is successful in moving down the field. And once you do that, then you can take advantage of the offense or just take advantage of the defense and take some deep shots on the field. They didn't do so. Uh, in this game, um, especially when during the scoring drives. It was a few decent rushes, I think, uh, by Tevin Coleman in particular. But this has shown the success that Zach Wilson can have. they got to carry this over. Next game on the list, the Arizona Cardinals and Chicago Bears go head-to-head. The Cardinals come away with a 33-22 victory, moving the Cardinals up to 10-2. and keeping their number one seed on the first team to break double-digit victories while the Bears fall to 4-8, and eight. still not out of the playoff picture. This game was completely dominant by the Cardinals. They went up to, at one point, a 24-7 lead and just kind of kept it from there uh, to lead to their victory here. Kyler Murray, 11 for 15, 123 yards and two touchdowns, which goes, that just epitomizes the fact that they didn't need to Pass the ball in this game. Uh, they didn't. Use, they didn't have a lot of plays in general, uh, partly due to short fields, which we'll touch on in a second. Uh, the Cardinals ran the ball thirty-five times for one hundred and thirty-seven yards and two touchdowns. For the Bears, Andy Dalton. This is not. This is one of those, uh, and I hate to say it because I like Andy Dalton so much. But uh, I feel like once a season when he was on the Bengals, there was that one game that was just like, we pretend that thing did not exist. Like, uh, he's had a few of these type of games, and this is one of them. 26-41 uh, for 229 yards, two touchdowns, but four interceptions. Also, sacked three times as well, leading to a lot of short field position for the Cardinals that they can just walk down and eventually uh, score some points. In this game. Uh, they had a decent Russia game as well, um, while the team only ran 27 times for 112 yards. Most of that was David Montgomery, 21 of those attempts for 90 yards and a touchdown. He was the bright spot for this Bears team that sorely need a bright spot uh, in this game. Again, four interceptions, first two drives leading to interceptions, not particularly ideal, um, especially as these interceptions led to, I want to calculate this right, uh, I think, let's see here. Yeah, these, these drives eventually led to 21 points, I want to say. Um, so, yeah, that's not great if you're giving the ball away and then letting them score on top of it. Uh, also, all of those touchdown drives that uh, the Cardinals had uh, off of interceptions were shorter drives. So d- d- that's partly due to the field position and just partly due to the fact that you know they're able to score quickly and now your offense is right back on the field basically reminded of their lack of success. As I mentioned previously, Cardinals move up to 10 10-2. They now have the, they have controlled the number one seed for the most part of this season and are going to go up against the Rams while the Bears, with their loss, fall down to technically the 14th seed, still mathematically in the playoff picture, but go up against the Packers next week, which doesn't exactly help their chances. Uh, Matt Nagy, of course, on the hot seat in this with this matchup as well at this point i i don't know if Nagy is going to stay on as the coach and if he's not staying on as the coach then this season has shifted from whatever it is to let's just see if justin fields is good um he was i believe injured in this game uh once fields comes back it's it's all about him at this point okay that's the only thing they have to worry about for the remainder of the season this next game was just weird I think, uh, especially with the the runs that teams had, uh, as we talk about the Cincinnati Bengals against the Los Angeles Chargers, Chargers come away with a forty-one to twenty-two victory. I know that sounds like a pretty dominant victory. That was not the case. This game started. This game had three phases. I think it was the Chargers get up to a lead. The Chargers blow the lead, or the Bengals come back from this, and the Chargers regain the lead. Uh, so we'll start off with each of those. The first three drives, I believe, for the Chargers led to touchdowns. Let me just make sure this is right. Led to touchdown, field goal, touchdown is how they started this game. Um, while the Bengals' first three drives were fumble, interception, punt. Uh, not ideal. Not the best. Uh, and at this point, it's like, oh, this is going to be one of those days. The Bengals just aren't on it. The Chargers are on it. We're going to watch them score a bunch of points. We'll see. I don't know. Will the Chargers break 50? And then, uh... 10 minutes or so left in the second quarter, and the flip the, the script is flipped. Now, it becomes the Bengals, which in the second quarter and early parts of the third quarter, they go touchdown, touchdown, end of half, field goal, touchdown. The Chargers, meanwhile, uh, at the same time frame, uh, from that Bengals drive onward, go fumble, interception, fumble, punt. If that isn't, you know, they just flip the script there. And then, they flip back again at this point. The Chargers end their drives with punt touchdown punt field goal, while the Bengals end their drives, uh, following that final touchdown, punt, fumble, punt, interception, downs, end of game. Like running out of four, you know, losing messing it up on fourth down and end of game. Um That basically was it. They had three runs, whoever got that third run won. It was like a best out of three matchup of rock, paper, scissors, each of them winning one and then the chargers uh, Wanted at the end of the day. Uh, Speaking of the Chargers, Justin Herbert, 26-35, 317 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, sacked four times, um, which was a trend. Both of these teams had a few sacks in this game. And uh, the rush game for the Chargers, 22 for 79 and a touchdown. Eckler in particular, uh, really, really good runner. This just wasn't his game. He had two fumbles, both of which were lost in this game. Um, Not great, especially considering how much of the focus is actually on Austin Eckler. You know, it's this game, uh, just in games in the past, uh, that's, that a lot of the focus is on Eckler, both on the rushing and receiving side of things. So him losing fumbles in this game was not ideal. For the Bengals, Burrow, 24 of 40 for exactly 300 yards, a touchdown, two interceptions, and also sacked six times as well. The Bengals' rushing team wasn't particularly impressive in this game either 25 rushes for 96 yards and two touchdowns at the end of the day it kind of was just like a best of three rock paper scissors matchup uh whoever controlled that quarter or that third of the game i suppose um came away with the victory on that side of things which is why it sort of swung wildly like a pendulum um chargers came away with the victory just basically do the fourth quarter and just stacking on points from there um leading to their victory here both of these teams are seven and five now and in the afc of course which makes this a very interesting game when it comes to the wild card picture uh the chargers go uh seven and five and now have the five seed while the bengals seven and five have the six seed chargers go up against the giants while the bengals go against the 49ers as you may know if you've been following me at aduran region on twitter which uh, if you haven't i would recommend doing so uh I do predictions for all of these games. I tend to predict the games. uh, I predict them technically with a group of uh, friends and just list down who I think will win each of these games and typically try to post them prior to Thursday Night Football, uh, though I have been slacking in recent weeks. Um, That's really all I do. There's no other extra things or anything like that. It's just predicting each game. Each game you get right is one point. Um, There's no, like, special circumstances or anything like that. However, if there were something like a lock of the week... This is probably the game I would have used it on. The Los Angeles Rams take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I would have, not only did I predicted the Rams would win, I'm pretty sure if I had some sort of lock of the week like confirmation, like "Ah, I believe this 100%, this is the game I would stamp it on. Um, And unsurprisingly, the Rams come away with a victory 37 to seven over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Rams go up to eight and four, while the Jaguars down to two and 10 uh, on the season. This was a get right game. For the Rams, there's no other way to put it. Uh, I apologize, Jacksonville. But that's how this game was perceived. That's how this game ended up playing as. They, The Rams needed to find their footing after a few losses to some pretty good comp- competition that they're probably going to play against in the playoffs. They needed to get a win on their belt just to get that win. Um, and that's basically what this was. Matthew Stafford, 26 for 38, 295 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. The run game dominated by Sony Michelle, who had 24 rushes for 121 yards. The team as a whole, 27 for 128. So it's basically all Sony Michelle there. For Jacksonville, on the other hand, Trevor Lawrence, 16 for 28, 145 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. The rush game for Jacksonville, non existent, 25 rushes for only 61 yards. Um, and that's kind of just what happened at the end of the day. Uh, nothing particularly exciting, I want to say, about this game. Um, it was relatively close initially, and then the Jacksonville just couldn't stop the Rams and their dominant team. Um, you know, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, Odell Beckham, all getting touchdown passes uh, in the second half from Matt Stafford. This victory here is kind of just an opportunity for the Rams to add a victory. Uh, before their big matchup against the Arizona Cardinals this week that more or less is going to determine the NFC West. Um, if the Rams lose this, they've got basically no shot at the division, while if they win this, then they do. So that's a thing to keep in note. Jacksonville now with this 2-10 and 10, uh, season fall down to... Uh, if They fall down to 2-10. and 10, um, Still mathematically in the playoff picture which is surprising to me considering Houston also has a 2-10 record, but isn't mathematically eliminated. Um, I'm going by NFL.com's playoff picture, so I'm assuming this is correct. They go up against the Titans next week, again the Rams up against the Cardinals in a marquee matchup for the next week. This next matchup it was oddly uh, entertaining considering the low-scoring affair that it was. The Washington football team versus the Las Vegas Raiders. Washington comes away with a 17-15 victory off of a Brian Johnson last-minute, not quite last second, but last-minute field goal. Uh, a 48-yarder that gave the football team the edge uh, in this game. Johnson, a new kicker for Washington, so it's always fun to see new kickers uh, succeeding in their jobs. Uh, in this game... Taylor Heineke, 23 for 30, 196 yards, two touchdowns, an interception. The rush game for Washington, 30 attempts for 122 yards, most of that by Antonio Gibson. For the Raiders, Derek Carr, 28 for 38 for 249 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and non-existent rush game, only 16 attempts for 76 yards, the vast majority of that by Josh Jacobs, who also had a rushing touchdown. Um, In this game, again, a very low-scoring affair here, um... Which just made it that much more compelling when the last drive of the game by Washington eventually led to that, what would effectively be a game-winning field goal. Um, Yeah, it was a lot of punts by the Raiders early on, um, and then they sort of found their groove and just couldn't score enough points at the end of the day. Uh, The football team... Uh, took advantage of that they had a lot of punts as well honestly this was just kind of a back and forth affair with a lot of punts if you look at pro football uh, reference and how they uh, do the play by play they highlight in green at least uh, I'm pretty sure it's always in green uh, the scoring points so you can see the first drive for Washington leads to a scoring touchdown this is the pass to Logan Thomas for uh, the touchdown and then after that it is a large amount of text in white basically taking up the entirety of the first, the rest of the first quarter and almost all of the second quarter. The only thing stopping that is the uh, end of half Daniel Carlson 52-yard field goal, then continuing that more white text, followed by the Daniel Carlson 38-yard field goal in the third quarter, and then after that, the scoring starts to happen. But that's uh, kind of how this was. Just a lot of punts back and forth, which is always fun if you're a punter, but not quite if you're a fan of the teams playing. You don't want to see the Bunt team going out. Washington does, however, come away with this victory. Both of these teams now six and six, making it interesting in the playoff picture. Six and six for the AFC is the nine seed for the Raiders as they go up against the Chiefs next week in what is probably a must-win for the Raiders. Washington, meanwhile, the number six seed in the NFC playoff picture. Uh the they, as I mentioned previously, go up against the Cowboys, which will more or less determine how this NFC East is going to play out. So both of these matches are very interesting divisional matchups that will play a role in how the AFC picture looks. This game was probably the game of the week, especially looking back at it. The Steelers versus the Ravens. Steelers come away with a 20-19 to victory. And, of course, the last thing that we think about is the two-point conversion attempt by the Ravens to attempt to win the game rather than go into overtime. Uh, the pass intended for uh, Mark Andrews, I believe... Um, it was just a two-point conversion where the uh, the tight end just goes into the flat, basically running along the goal line. Jackson throws it to him, and it's just off his reach, although it was a weird throw because T.J. Watt was pressuring Lamar Jackson, basically having to force the throw a little bit earlier and a little bit less accurately than Jackson would have liked it, just off the fingertips of Mark Andrews. And with only about 12 seconds remaining in the game, that basically wrapped it up. Um, in this game, Lamar Jackson... As a whole, 23 for 37, 253 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. He was sacked seven times in this game. Um, I, I didn't even realize he was sacked seven times, but it does make sense because of how much pressure the uh, these Steelers were putting on him. Uh, those sacks, three and a half sacks by T.J. Watt, who is probably, at worst, number two on the Defense Player of the Year rankings, I think. Maybe three. He's a top three at worst case scenario on the defensive player of the year ranking. Uh, but three and a half sacks by him. Uh, Chris Wormley had two and a half sacks. Cameron Hayward had a sack. Just sacks galore for the uh, for the Steelers here. Pressuring Lamar Jackson constantly, which has been a trend over the past few weeks. Uh, Jackson also only had eight rushes for 55 yards, which is very un-Lamar Jackson-like. Uh, this rush team as a whole, only 25 attempts for 107 yards uh, for the Ravens. Um, again, very un-Ravens like. For the Steelers, on the other hand, Ben has is it weird for me to say that Big Ben is back, and I say this hesitantly, like um not maybe not like twenty fifteen Ben, where he was just throwing the football everywhere, but he's been he's been having some pretty good stretches in these games. Um, maybe not again, not full game domination. Um uh, but there's the, the, the last few quarters of this game were pretty good by Ben Roethlisberger, uh, 21 for 31, 236 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Most of the rush game focused on Najee Harris, who had 21 rushes for 71 yards. Um, yeah, in this game again, Steelers just couldn't do a lot. And then in the fourth quarter, Ben's like, okay, wait a minute, I'm gonna dig in deep to my Hall of Fame self and start like, you know, playing like Hall of Famer, uh, with some nice drives ending off this game leading to a lot of points as well and of course the game winning what would eventually be uh touchdown pass and extra point or the two points conversion sorry uh from ben to deontay johnson with only with the uh, less than two minutes remaining uh ravens despite going down the field cannot convert them to two point conversion so the ravens fall to eight and four steelers six five and one now and the steelers at this point um uh, looking pretty good right now um they are, they're still on the bubble, but they still have a real shot here, while the Ravens are the number three seed, yes, but the Bengals are just a game behind, and they the Ravens do go up against the Cleveland Browns next week, coming off a bye, so a very interesting matchup to see in both of these games. Uh, Steelers going up against the Vikings on Thursday Night Football, and that's all I will say. This divisional matchup basically defined the early 2010s. Does that sound right? I think that sounds right. Seattle Seahawks go up against the East San Francisco 49ers and the Seahawks come away with the 30-23 to victory, dropping the 49ers to 6-6 while the Seahawks rise up to 4-8. and This game was Seattle's even though it wasn't the case. The moment that Travis Homer had the fake punt rush for 73 yards, um... They had the momentum, even though they didn't really have the momentum. Um, of course, I say this because uh, the 49ers respond with three scoring drives, a touchdown a pass from Garoppolo to George Kittle, a two-yard rush by Elisha Mitchell, and a Robbie Gold 50-yard field goal. And then afterwards, this becomes a competitive game that eventually leads to Russell Wilson's 12-yard touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett, basically giving them the game. Uh, big things to note in this game, Carlos Dunlap, who has been relatively quiet in this game, uh, quiet this season, sorry, had a monstrous game. Uh, he had the safety on Jimmy Garoppolo that tied the game up and uh, the final play that Garoppolo had uh, passed to the end zone deflected at the line by Carlos Dunlap, who just was all over the field on that fourth quarter um, for this game. Russell Wilson had 30, uh, 30 for thirty seven, two thirty one yards, two touchdowns, one interception, sacked four times as well, for fifty yards. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, thirty three yard sack. Was that the fumble or something? I don't. I actually don't remember that one. Um, but that was a pretty good game by Russell Wilson. Unsurprisingly, Russell Wilson. Pretty good quarterback if you didn't even know. Uh, The rush game for Seattle, more of what I think the Seattle team wanted to do when coming into the season. 27 rushes for 146 yards and two touchdowns. For the 49ers, Garoppolo, 20 for 30, 299 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, one sack. Uh, I don't know if that sack was the sack that was the safety or just a sack and also safety existed. Um, But that's still, yeah, the safety was the big crucial Error, I guess, that brought the Seahawks back into this. Uh, the rush game for Seattle, or not for Seattle, for the 49ers wasn't that effective, which isn't great because this team is heavily built off of the run, even if they aren't actually rolling the ball. Uh, they ran it 25 times for 71 yards and a touchdown. In this game, this divisional rivalry, as always, makes no sense, and this game epitomized that. The Seahawks are basically walking in here with their season mostly lost, even though they still have a non non 1%, like higher than 1% chance. I'm making the playoffs, I think. Um, Because they got a 4-8 record in a weak NFC, or a very uh, bottom-heavy NFC, while the 49ers walk into this game uh, more or less controlling their own destiny when it comes to the playoff picture, and then lose this game. So, how does that play out? Well, the Seahawks, despite this victory, are still the 15th seed. They do go up against the Houston Texans next week, while the 49ers are now the 7th seed at 6-6, basically here only because of uh, a few buys, by a few other teams uh, who are like 6 and 7 right now. So the 49ers, they go up against the Bengals next week in what is basically a must win to make sure that other teams like the Vikings, Eagles, Panthers, and Falcons, kind and Saints as well, uh, kind of stick back and not accidentally, you know, overtake them, which wouldn't be great for the 49ers. More divisional matchups here. The Kansas City Chiefs take on the Denver Broncos and come away with a 22-9 victory. Uh, bringing the Chiefs up to 8-4, and four, the Broncos fall to 6-6. Six and six. Uh, This game was a defensive affair, which is not exactly what you think of when you think of the Chiefs, but of course, over the past few weeks in particular, the Chiefs defense has been more or less winning these teams the games. Because um, 22 points for the Chiefs isn't enough, in my opinion, to beat the Packers, beat the Buccaneers, beat the Cowboys, like those sort of games... Um, Although the Chiefs have beaten the Cowboys in the past, but you get the gist. Uh, To beat these teams with dominant offenses, you're going to need more than 22 points. um, Or you're going to need your defense to play as well as they did today, bringing a team to single digit points in order to come away with the victory here. Um, This game was heavily controlled by the Chiefs from the start, uh, even if they did trade a bunch of field goals back and forth. And I think more or less was like locked in once Daniel Sorensen had the 75-yard interception return for a touchdown. In this game, Teddy Bridgewater, 22 for 40, 257, one touchdown, two interceptions, one of them being that pick six. Uh, and the rush game for Denver, 31 rushes for 154 yards. They were effective on the run game, and I'm surprised uh, they didn't convert that more often, but uh, that is how it was. For the Chiefs, offense not particularly uh, great when it comes to statistics. Patrick Mahomes, uh, sorry, Patrick Mahomes, 15 for 29, 184 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. He did rush for a touchdown um, early in the first quarter as well. The rush game for Kansas City, 24 rushes for 89 yards and a touchdown. Again, this game more or less was put away once that Sorensen interception occurred, uh, the pick six there. But even before that, it was just heavily focused on the Chiefs milking clock in a way, going down the field, and then kicking a field goal. Um if they can convert those field goals into touchdowns then we start to see those offenses offensive domination that we've expected from the chiefs over the past few years but for now at least in this sort of matchup and the way that this game was played it's good i guess best thing for the chiefs at the end of the day um the chiefs with their 8 and 4 record are now the 4 seed in the AFC which is uh surprising considering like 8 and 4 feels like a pretty dominant Uh, step over the wildcard teams, but nope, 8-4 is literally just one game ahead. Uh, And the Broncos, with this loss, now fall down to what is the 12th seed currently, although they do go up against the Lions. Again, the Chiefs go up against the Raiders next week. I have no idea how that's actually going to sound, but wind is a thing in this matchup, as the New England Patriots take on the Buffalo Bills, the high mark of this game, speaking of high mark stadium, yeah, there were like the 50 mile per hour wins, um, the passing game probably wasn't advised, although one team did attempt it. One team, however, clearly didn't. Uh, the Patriots come away with this victory 14-10 over the Bills, which basically more or less confirms the fact that at least this year, the division seems to be running through New England. Um, New England goes up to 9-4 while the Bills fall to 7-5 in this game. Uh, we'll go with the, we'll go with Josh Allen's stats and the Bills' stats first. Uh, Josh Allen, 15 for 30, 145 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Again, very heavy wins, so that kind of contributed to the lack of accuracy there. Um, but the Bills ran the ball 25 times for 99 yards, kind of spread out among uh, a few different players. Let uh, me go to the Patriots. Hey, Patriots, what did you do today? Oh, okay, so they decided a very heavy rush attack. Cool, 46 attempts for 222 yards right? Most of that, or a good chunk of that by Damian Harris, who had a really good 64-yard rush that uh, ran for a touchdown. Um, Just broke, like, I think it was like a one-cut, just straight line towards the end zone. Um, Very nice play there. Good blocking by the offense. Um, Why don't we look at Mac Jones' stats? Two completions, three attempts, 19 yards. And then uh, QBR rating of 84. (laughs) Um... Yeah, so they took uh, they took a uh, run and, like uh, and ground and pound to the extreme in this case, uh, as they just handed the ball off consistently and the Bills could do nothing to stop it. Um, again, with the heavy wins in this game, there were a lot of weird plays, like the uh, the punt, the 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 Bills uh, recovering a muffed punt, which is technically muffed because it scrapes the front of uh, one of the Patriots players' uh, helmets. Um, like that and then just this whole like win thing just made a bunch of passes inaccurate like all of a sudden become accurate or like bad passes become good passes good passes become bad passes whatever it was at the end of the day uh the bills almost had a shot actually at the end of the game uh they were driving down the field in this final drive um and josh allen deep pass intended for Gabriel davis and it is basically swatted out of the air by miles bryant that basically that uh flips the uh Makes it a turnover on downs, and now the Patriots just kneel out the clock. In this game, um, we kind of just saw the Patriots are able to do something that the Bills aren't. That and is completely focus on one side of a game to the point where they are daring you to stop it and you can't. The Patriots have, at least in this game, proven I can walk up to you with my game plan and force you to adapt to it. Um, And that's basically what happened here. We are going to hand the ball off so much to the point that our quarterback is a non-factor. They could they could have been a, because of Mac Jones not only his stature, um, he's no Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts or anything like that, but also the fact that the quarterback is a quarterback and he kind of once you hand it off, you kind of just step back and don't get involved. Uh, they were playing ten on eleven, and still dominated. Because Mac Jones, once the ball is handed off, he is a non-factor in the play. There are 10 players on the offense that are blocking at this point for the, the one running back. So nine blockers and one running back versus 11 defenders. And the Patriots were able to just run over the Bills. Um, this, of course, leads to the Patriots at the 9-4 and four record now, uh, having full control of the AFC East, now the number one seed. They are on bye week, while the Bills this week go up against the Buccaneers. The Bills currently the seven seed. Basically, need to go win to make sure that the Colts, the Raiders, players, uh, teams like that don't end up jumping over them. Um, and that is the case here. We've gone over the playoff picture a little bit. Um, there's actually some playoff clinching scenarios for week 14, which is. Uh, Interesting. The AFC doesn't have any because, again, it's very top-heavy. The NFC, though, still has a few. Uh, the Cardinals are able to clinch a playoff berth. The the Packers are actually able to clinch the NFC North or a playoff berth. And the Buccaneers can clinch the South or a playoff berth. There's a few scenarios here. There's no specific, like, this happens, I win. Um, there are a few instances where that's the case. But Arizona, Green Bay, and Tampa Bay, all three of those teams have a shot of clinching a, at minimum, playoff berth. Um, and that is pretty much it. Uh, I do want to have a short little message here regarding the passing of Demarius Thomas. Uh, phenomenal wide receiver, uh, watching the Broncos play during the early 2010s with the Peyton Manning, Eric Decker, DT, uh, Julius Thomas, the tight end, and, uh, Number of a number of different running backs. I think they switched through a few of them over the course of that four-year stretch. Um, he was just he was such a good player to watch, and from everybody talking about him, such a good guy as well. Um, and he just seemed like such a nice guy, and the fact that he, he passed at such a young age is it's it's heartbreaking. Um, that's, that's the only way to put it. It's uh, it just emphasizes even more the need to reach out to those that you haven't talked to for a while and have just wanted to um, and just just make sure that they know you know they still exist I guess um, now that wasn't the case in this instance it seems like it was a lot of health related issues that have piled up over the past year that um, just came to head but it's still something that uh, uh, just keep in mind I guess that it's not, this is oddly weird for a sports podcast to be talking about, especially considering uh, how small this show is, but uh, life isn't guaranteed, and so uh, just take every moment as if it's uh, it's a moment that you want to live for, I think, um, I don't want to speak for him or his family, obviously, but uh, I think Demarius Thomas lived his life uh, the way he wanted it to be lived. He was an, a good player, a good man, first off, um, and just eventually that—that's—that's uh, that's the imprint you want to leave on uh, the world around you. So, uh, so for for the show, I guess for myself, uh, thank you very much for watching, uh, and uh, rest in peace, Demarius Thomas.